to um, Matthew chapter 5. And um, I just need to get this sermon off of my chest. Um, I was going to preach Romans chapter 8, pick up where I had been and had left off, and was going to preach about the communion with the Spirit. And, and it's ready to go. In fact, I, I could preach that sermon here tonight. But I just need to preach this sermon. It's been kind of stirring around in my heart now for several months. And um, I preached it here on July the 18th, 1999. I preached it in Woodville, Texas on May the 20th of 2001. And I preached it again in Dothan on December the 1st of 2002. I preached it in Bridge City on December the 14th of 2003. And then I preached it again here August the 20th of 2006, if my records are accurate. And so that has been uh, 15 years ago. And so a lot of you, some of you may not even been going to church here 15 years ago. Some of you kiddos, you were kiddos, and maybe it'll mean more to you. I hope it does. If it don't, we'll pack it in and we'll go home and we'll come back and take another shot at it Sunday. Y'all supposed to laugh about that. That's what preachers say when they don't do too well on that Sunday. They say, well, we got next Sunday coming. And so, um, and my children, sometimes they uh, kid me about this verse. Um, but I, I want to just, maybe it's just for me. I have revised it and worked on it. Um, and now it's much longer than it was when I first preached it back in 1999. Uh, but it's not going to be an all-night sucker here tonight if you're looking for an all-night sucker, okay? I'll try to put my timer on and we'll pay attention to what's happening. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 41. The Bible says there, And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile go with him twain and I want to preach on this thought about a two mile man in a one mile world and um, I don't want to be a one miler I want to be a two miler Let's ask the Lord to touch us here tonight. Lord Jesus Christ, your presence is here. I pray, Lord, tonight that this message would inspire every saint of God. I pray, Lord, it inspires every Sunday school teacher, every youth worker, every singer. I pray every department in this church. Help us, Lord, to feel the inspiration and the faith that you would bring to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Everybody can be seated except for Sister Annette. Stand up, Sister Annette. This is Sister Annette's box. In this box, Sister Annette keeps us supplied with prayer cloths. I don't know how many of these have come out of this prayer, out of this box that we prayed over. I don't know how many directions that they have been sent. But Sister Annette, this is a ministry. And you saw part of what happened here. That's just a small touch. Of what, of what she's had a had a hand in, Amen, Amen. Thank you, Sister Annette, Amen. 
I wish Brother Gary Butler was here tonight. Um, this sermon thought actually started, and I had no clue that I at that time was even going to be a preacher. But in the summer of 1984, um, I, Brother Gary and Brother John, and uh, and they had a nephew, uh, Junior Long, who lived with them. And you go down Cottonwood Road about six or eight miles. It's almost to Cottonwood. There is a dirt road that turns to the left. And you go back down in there. And there was a mobile home. Uh, and Gary and John and Junior all lived there. And Mike Patterson and I went out there to play basketball out on the dirt road because there was a, at that time, they didn't have those mobile basketball goals. And they had put up a ramshackle device that we called a basketball goal. And I went out there and we were playing ball. And after that, we went in their house and laying over on. Uh, the coffee table there was a copy of the Sports Illustrated magazine that had been covering uh, the, the, the Summer Olympics that was held in Los Angeles that summer. There was a, two women at that time that were two runners, Mary Decker Tab, she was the runner for the U.S., and there was another young woman whose name was Zola Budge. She was a barefooted runner, and she ran for South Africa. The whole world turned their attention to, toward those two women because there had became a rivalry that had developed between those two young women as they began to uh, perform in their athletic careers. And the race started, and when the race started, the pack was very tight. And uh, Mary Decker Tab started running, and pretty soon she separated herself from Zola Bud, but somewhere in the mixture of the run and all that was taking place, uh, Mary Decker Tab and Zola Bud got tangled up, and Mary Decker Tab ended up tripping and falling, and she ended up with a, a torn hamstring, and her career never really did come much to anything after that injury that took place, but she went down in the infield as probably millions of eyes across the world was watching that race. I remember looking at that magazine there at Brother Gary and Brother John's home and, and looking at the close-up picture that the photographer for Sports Illustrated had taken of her face that day and mixed in the face there of Mary Decker Tab, there was an expression, it was, it was so uh, just multi-focused that it's hard to say what kind of face or emotion that you could see that was demonstrated there. There was anger there. Uh, there was disappointment there. There was rage there. There was despair there as Mary Decker Tab clutched her thigh and writhed in pain and the race went on without her. There was a similar situation that took place back in the 30s. There was a young man by the name of Eric Liddell. The world at that time, they had their eyes focused in on Adolf Hitler and, and uh, he began to stir around and there were armies that, uh, that he was beginning to move into and there was concern that Adolf Hitler was going to take, all, take over the world. You know uh, what took place with that. But Eric Liddell was running in that race and, and against those other competitors that he was running against. Eric Liddell tripped and fell uh, in that race as well. But there was a difference between Eric Liddell and Mary Decker Tab, and it was this. The fact of the matter was that Eric Liddell, instead of staying down, he got up and he started running again and he caught the runners in the pack and history bears out that Eric Liddell ended up winning that race there where that 
uh, he had tripped and he had fallen. At some point, all runners go down, and whether you are running a literal race or whether you are running, all of us are running a metaphorical race of source. All runners, at some point, they go down in the race that they are running. And all of us have a choice. We can either do as Mary Decker Tab did and lay there defeated, or we can begin to determine that there is more to uh, this defeat or this seeming setback, and we can get back up and we can start running again back in the direction of the finish line. This verse that I read to you here tonight in Matthew chapter 5, the context is taken. It's from the very first sermon, public sermon that the Lord uh, taught there to his disciples. I guess you would say that uh, there was a large group that would call themselves disciples in that day. And he began to express some things there in that message. In fact, you can look in the Sermon on the Mount. There's 42 different principles that you find that are scattered throughout those three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. But the emphasis of what Jesus was talking about here, in fact, the context starts in verse 38. Look with me there to that verse. He says, you have heard it, you have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that you resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if a man will sue thee at law and take away your coat, then you give him your cloak also. And whosoever shall compel you to go a mile, you go with him too. Give to him that asketh you, and from him that would borrow of you, do not turn them away. And Jesus was coming along here, and here's what he was saying. He was saying that the Old Testament tells us that for every injustice, if you take a shot to the eye, if you take a shot to the mouth, then instead of you retaliating to try to get back in that direction, then what you should do is the fulfillment of the law, the ultimate law that Jesus fulfilled was that you go the extra mile. Now I promise you here tonight that that is a very challenging thing. It doesn't matter how much saintliness that you have in your life. It doesn't matter what kind of prayer life you have. It doesn't matter how much you talk in tongues. This is a very difficult thing for you and I to give ourselves to. And Jesus was saying, he was saying, I want to come along and I want to respond to that and tell you that there is a great thing that happens to those that go the extra mile and that they moved and do more than what is just required of them. In those days, they knew what Jesus was talking about because in those days, the Romans had a public uh, road access system and, and there was something about it. At any time, a Roman soldier could come up to any able-bodied man and he could take his pack off and he could say, look, I'm gonna get you to carry my uh, pack for me. Well, the law required that whoever that soldier told that man to bear uh, that particular burden that the law said you have to go at least a mile and Jesus comes along and he said I want to tell you something I don't want you as one of my disciples to just go that required mile I want you to determine on the inside of you that instead of going one mile that you're going to go the extra mile and there is great power and strength that comes into your life because you do that. The demand of those services can be best illustrated for us whenever the Lord was on his way to Golgotha. 
the Bible tells us that it was at the point of his sheer exhaustion that the Bible says that, that they reached over and they got one Simon, a, the Cyrene, a man that just happened to be in the crowd and, and they pulled him out of that and they give him that cross and he was literally required to bear the cross for the rest of the way. He had to be jostled by the crowd. He was right there near the Lord and I dare say that Simon's ears heard all of the, the mockery and the scorn that was coming in the direction of the Lord. When they spit on him, I dare say that they probably spit on Simon as well. Whenever some of them probably tried to hit him, I, I'm sure it was probably a drunken mob that was there and that whenever they tried to strike the Lord that probably that there was a part of them that they missed the Lord and they hit Simon in that. I have a sermon that I have preached a number of years ago that maybe I need to dig it out again and uh, it's called Life's Unexpected Crosses. Here is the other side of Simon's story. The Bible tells us that and you can read about it in uh, Romans chapter 16. It mentions two men. It says that Paul said, I want you to salute Rufus and I want you to salute Alexander. Who were those two young men? Those young men were the sons of Simon the Cyrene and what Simon thought was a literal cross that he had to bear to to, to, to have on his back that that was the salvation of his two sons. Could it be that there are unexpected crosses that we have in every one of our lives that as time unfolds, you will look at that cross and there'll be a whole lot different view of that cross as you go on and you'll realize that it was the salvation of some of the families and it was the salvation of some of your friends that it was because that unexpected cross that you had was to work for their salvation. And so the call to go the second mile, it was not a popular call for the Jews. It was an inconvenient demand. It was often a laborious demand that they had to bear. And generally speaking, it was one that if they could uh, somehow uh, uh, associate it and, or get rid of it, they would have done it. A lot of them probably reluctantly uh, went ahead and, and they began to take up that cross there, but there's something about it that, that here is what intervenes sometimes in our life, not I'm going to say, I'm going to say in my life, I don't want you to include you in on my sin, okay? But I'll just say in my life that there's times where that we have these inconvenient miles and there's a tendency for us to want to complain about them and say, I tell you, this is just not fair. This not, is not right. And in every life, there are going to be some unwelcome circumstances that they come in your direction and you can do one of two things. You can mope around and you can complain and you will have to tell yourself that there's times where that the injustices are too big for me to bear and the omissions of the credit that should have come to my life because of my involvement. Nobody's told me how good of a job that I'm doing. I, I know none of y'all ever have that part, but it hits us sometimes whenever we are recovering Required to go that second mile. There are going to be hurts along the way. There's going to be tasks that you sometimes take them out of necessity and not take them out of choice. But remember what Jesus said. He said, if somebody's asking you to go a mile, what in the world would happen to you if you decided that you were going to go the second mile? Our world is full of average, ordinary people people, then all they're going to do is they're just going to go what they are required to do. But hear me out, church. The Word of God is loaded with examples that begins to tell you about people who went the extra mile. It set them apart. And by nature, every individual here tonight, we, we have that we meet people 
that we uh, sometimes fall into that trap that we can be complainers. Well, y'all feel the anointing of the Holy Ghost right now. Well, let's stand up and all shout on that one. <laughs> now, <coughs> I, I've, been, I've been reading some <laughs> in Exodus, and I was reading about Moses and having to deal with all those complainers, and they got tired of, they got tired of that, that bread, and they, they wanted some meat. I tell you, I want some meat. I want something to eat. And Moses got so irritated and aggravated with him. He said, you know what? I'll tell you, I'm going to talk to the Lord about this. The scary part about it is what this says in the psalm. Psalm 105, it says that the Lord gave them the, the, the desires of their heart, but he sent leanness to their soul. And there is a tendency sometimes for me to fall into that trap of complaining. A lot of my state of mind has to do with the people that I hang around with. Um, well, that hurt. A lot of our state of mind has to do with the people that we hang around with. Jim Rohn said it like this, you're the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. Um, another guy said it like this. There are two kinds of people. There's anchors and there are motors. You want to lose the anchors and you want to get with the motors because the motors are going somewhere. The anchors, they will drag you down. Brother Robert Williams, you know Ella Wheeler Wilcox. One of my favorite poems is lifters and leaners. Are you a lifter or are you a leaner? And, and now this man adds it in. Are you an anchor or are you a motor? And if I hang around with people that are chronically complaining and that are chronically somehow spend the buck of their time moping around and, and talking about their unfair advantages that everybody else has gotten and they didn't get a chance like everybody else got and they just want to listen to me. There is no free lunch in this world. Somebody's paying for the free lunch somewhere and what you've got to make a determination about is to say, you know what? I'm going to be a motor. I'm not going to be an anchor. I'm going to be a lifter. I'm not going to be a leaner. And I'm going to go the extra mile no matter what is required out of me. There are things that passion brings into your heart and into your spirit that nothing else will bring into your life. I heard one man say it like this, that passion beats out its own path. And there's something about it that I want to ask myself some questions tonight. And I have to be careful about this because my circle is very tight. I don't work a job with, with heathens. Y'all say amen about that. Some of y'all go to work every day, you're neck deep in heathens. And, and so I, I, have to, I have to be careful about all of those particular, all of those particular things. And, and uh, I'm getting text messages uh, from folks. Colton, where's Colton at? Colton, would you stand up and would you quote Proverbs 13 and 20? Come up here. They couldn't hear what you said. Come up, stand up here. What, what was that? He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. I, I need to, that was good. Let's all stand, we'll be dismissed, and we'll go home. I don't know where he learned that, maybe Sunday school or somewhere, but that's a, that's a good deal. You, you've got to figure it out that, hey, I want to hang around with the motors instead of the anchors. But anyways, here, ask, I, I need to ask these questions here. When you ask these questions, I'm not going to ask these questions to myself. These are for you. Are the people in your life that are always complaining and blaming others for their circumstances? 
Are there people in your life that are always judging others and spreading negative gossip and talking about how bad that everything is? Okay, everybody need to put on your seatbelt. We're at 30,000 feet. We're about to experience some turbulence. Are, are there people in your life who simply by calling you on the phone, texting, and so forth that bring negative tension and stress and disorder to your day? Are there dream stealers who would tell you that your dreams are impossible and try to discourage you from believing in and pursuing your goals? Do you have friends that are constantly trying to bring you down to their level. You're going to have to make a hard call sometimes in your life and you're going to have to determine are they one milers or are they two milers? And if they're one milers, you need to get rid of them and you need to step up your life and say, you know what I've got to do? I need to find me some two milers. I need to find me some people that are around that they have big visions and they have big dreams and they believe in you and they say come on, you can do it. I know you can do it. I've got confidence in you that no matter how big it may seem that the Lord Jesus Christ can help you to accomplish and do what he's called you to do. But I'm going to tell you this, if you're going to go in the category of the two milers, here is what you have to realize, that a lot of one milers are going to be around you. It's in the classroom. Not only is it in the classroom, it is devolved into the workplace. It affects our entire nation. And sometimes, sadly enough, that one mile concentration can even get in to the church. I want to tell you, I've got a dream for this church. I'm telling you wall-to-wall people, people have to park out there on the road, that people walk in this house and they look around and they see saints of God with well-worn Bibles. They come in here and they can see people that worship God. They come in here and they say, I know that person right there can get in touch with the Lord. And there are times that what you've got to do is you've got to shake off those spirits that try to get a hold of you, that try to hinder the progress of the kingdom of God and of the church of God. Oh, I can get weary being around people that they say, oh man, it's so hard serving the Lord. I want to tell you at the end of the day, it's a joy to serve the Lord because there's coming a day that the Lord's going to put a crown of life on my head. We don't need to settle in to say just enough church attendance to get me by, just enough Bible reading to get me by, just enough prayer to get me by. I'm going to tell you something. I want to be a powerful man that has a word in him. I want to be a powerful prayer. I want to be a worshiper that whenever I come in here that I worship God, that I sing, that I give myself to the kingdom of God. Oh, I believe that church. I believe that church. There's others, they fall into the trap. They want to give just their 10%. If you start talking about, man, I tell you, you ought to, you ought to give the Lord a little bit of a raise. <coughs> Pastor, what, what do you mean? You can fall into that one mile, that 10% mentality if you want to. But I want to tell you something. There are laws to the harvest. And the more that you sow, the more that you reap. The Bible says that if you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. But if you sow bountifully, you're not going to have enough equipment to try to get the harvest and put it in the barn. I want to tell a church here tonight, we need to be a two-mile church in a one mile world and say God has got a revival. The Lord has a spiritual awakening and he can use me to be a soul winner. There's some of you that God's gonna call to preach. There's others of you the Lord's gonna call you to the mission field. There's others in here you're gonna faithfully teach in a Sunday school class and out of that Sunday school class there's gonna rise up spiritual leaders.
But you got to get in your mind that that one mile mentality, I've got to get it out. That's why I'm, I'll just, this is free. I've got 20, 15 minutes and 35 seconds. I'm hurrying. I'll tell those preachers in that licensing seminar, and here I am preaching you a rerun. But I'll tell those guys, I said, I'm going to tell you something. A death knell for a preacher is for him to fall in the trap and always just be recycling sermons that he's preached. There ought to be something about you that you ought to dig into the word of the Lord and say, oh, God, help me if this is, and it is. These are the words of life. Help me to be able to take that word and get it into somebody's heart and into somebody's spirit so that they're going to grow, so that there's faith that's going to come in to their heart and to their spirit. But I will tell you this, it's generally speaking that it's the faithful few that are willing to put in the extra portion. And a lot of times it's those folks that are one milers, they want to be critical of the two milers. I've told this story before, and they say preachers ought not to be, always be the heroes of their stories. But I generally, not generally, but there's sometimes, and, and sometimes I'm not a one-miler. Sometimes I get so discouraged, I have to look up to see down. Now, generally speaking, it's not because I'm discouraged with myself. So I'm discouraged with everything that's going on around me that I can't fix. Y'all probably realize some of that. But I was in Bible college, and this was in 1989, and, and I, I, I went in there to start. The very first day, I told my wife and my, told my parents and told my in-laws, I want to be the valedictorian in my class. And so I went to Office Depot, and I got me some of those cool manila folders, and, uh, and, and they was taking up those, those uh, the homework and and so I tell you what I did with my homework. I, I slipped my homework inside of that and, and I overdid it just like I do my sermons. And uh, it, was, it was far more than Brother Griffin wanted and I stapled it and put my name on it and put it inside. And whenever I passed it over the person that was sitting in front of me, I remember they was a smirk and a giggle. <laughs> it hurt my feelings. My feelings so hurt, I had to go home and my wife had to pat me on the head. It's going to be okay, Philip. Everything's going to be all right. And so the next week I got in there and I thought, I'm going to tell you, I'm taking that manila envelope and I'm putting it back in there again. And, and I put that thing back in there again. And, and uh, Lord, forgive me for feeling good about this. But you know what? They washed out the first year. They didn't even come back in the second year. And three years later, when it was all said and done and they got to graduation and they said, our salutatorian is Gary Smith and our valedictorian is Philip Harrelson. I'm going to tell you what, you, you know how those guys, when they act, when they want to spike the ball and, and they want to do that little dance that they do when they score? That's what I wanted to do right there on the, on the platform at Live Tabernacle. Now, I didn't do it, but I'm just going to tell you, I made up in my mind that I'm going to go the extra mile. It don't matter if they laugh at me. It doesn't matter if they criticize. There's just something in me that I'm going to do it as unto the Lord because I believe in this word and I believe in what we're doing. And if there can be inside of you for you to get a two-mile mentality... I'll tell you what, it will revolutionize your world. If they want you to write a paper for 250 words, write it for 500 words. If they want 1,000 words, give them 2,000 words. If they want you to pray for 30 minutes, pray for an hour. If they want you to knock on a certain amount of doors, then you just give yourself to that and say, I am on a mission and I am God's man or I am God's woman. And when the difficulty come in your life when you fall in the race you can do one of two things you can either stay down and out or you can get up on your feet and you can say you know what I fell down but I'm going to go the extra mile there's a finish line waiting on me and if I give it everything I got I'm able to catch up with those people that have left me in their dust that's what you can do
And yet the older we get, sometimes there's a tendency for us to want to make friends with our failures. James Allen said it like this, a man is literally what he thinks. And Brother Sanders and Sister Sanders, they, they have no idea how much of an encouragement that they have been to me in the last, in the last year when all the COVID stuff. I don't know how many cards that Brother Sister Sanders have sent to me. I've phone calls, times that, that they've called me, that the online services, y'all are doing so good with that. They have been an encouragement to me. And there's been others like, oh yeah, I tell y'all see when such and so messed up. Y'all see when they didn't get this right or that right or the other. Come on, y'all. We're not professional Christians. We're just people that's got a burden. We're trying to reach our city. The last thing that we need is for a bunch of one-milers sitting around and say, ha-ha, see there? I pray against that spirit. That is nothing more than just wickedness and evil. There is potential that the Lord has for every one of us here. I butcher up the king's English. I say things I probably ought not to say, but hear me out, church. I want you to make it. I pray for you, and I believe God is going to help us to do his will. <laughs> Brother John Curitan, he took up for me too. He, he got it when we had an empty building in here. But I'm gonna tell you what, that's a challenge is to come in here and preach to an empty sanctuary. You got some guys up in the sound booth, but everything else is empty. And uh, man, there were some critics on, I don't even know who they were, but but I got some screenshots sent from my kids. And I'm gonna tell you what, Brother John was manhandling them. Thank you, Brother John, because you know what? That just tells me that there are people that are two-milers and they believe what we are doing here. And whenever we start praying people through, to the Holy Ghost and there's water that needs to be in that baptismal tank and we start putting them down and there is victory and power and strength in this house. I'm gonna tell you, I want every one of you to be a part of it. But James Allen said it like this, a man is literally what he thinks. Daniel, amen, said it like this, don't believe everything you hear even Sometimes what your own mind tells you. Nick Sitzman was a strong, young, healthy, ambitious railroad yardman. And he had a reputation of being a hard worker. He had a young wife and two young children. And, and one day, uh, the railway told him, said, we're, we're going to let everybody get off an hour early, our train crews. And, and uh, Nick didn't know about it. And so somehow or another, he got locked up in a refrigeration car. When he got inside that refrigeration car and then the door slammed, he began to bang and to shout until his fists were bloody, until his voice was hoarse. And uh, nobody could hear him. But with his knowledge of all the numbers and the facts about how the, the temperature operated in those refrigerated cars, he got down on the floor and he took a knife out and uh, he, he scratched out this on the floor. He said, if I can't get out, he said, I know I'm gonna freeze to death. It's so cold that my body is getting numb. If I could just go to sleep, this may be the last few hours of my life. The next morning, the crew slid that door open of that boxcar and they found Nick was dead inside laying on the, on the car, on the floor of that refrigerated car. But here's the thing, the temperature inside was only 55 degrees. And they said that what happened to Nick was Nick killed himself with the power of his thoughts. That the suggestions, even in his own mind, that he literally killed himself because he thought that that car was much colder than what it was. If we're not careful, we can do the very same thing with our own mindset. You can look at the mile that you have to walk and you can say, that's not a mile, that's 10 miles. That, that, and you can end up dying on the very first mile. But there's gotta be something that you understand and that's this, that the big
biggest battlefield a lot of times is right up here between your ears. And if you can say, you know what, I'm casting down those ungodly imaginations, 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3, 4, and 5, if you can cast down those imaginations that exalt themselves against the power and the mystery and the purpose of God, I want to tell you that the Lord can use you in a great way. There ought to be something about us that we remember what the scripture said that after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, you're going to receive power. Yes, power to be witnesses, but I just believe this, power to live an overcoming life, power to put the serpent under your feet, power to take victory over those voices and those nasty, critical spirits that come in your direction. Come on, Pentecostals of Dothan, there ought to be something inside of you here tonight that says I'm a two-miler in a one-mile world. God's going to work in my life and God's going to work in my spirit. Oh, yes, he is. Yes, he is. In the word of God, there's pictures that we find and we begin to look at these pictures. One of those is in Psalm 92. Psalm 92, verses 12 and 13, the righteous are gonna flourish like the pine tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. And those that be planted in the house of the Lord, they're gonna flourish in the courts of our God. The word of God has particular pictures that's used by a lot of its different authors. In fact, one of those deals is, is that we see that uh, you find the eagle to be a symbol of strength and courage and ability. But the Bible also uses a mule that, that is stubborn and unyielding and that resists the reins and tries to bite uh, its rider, tries to bite the one that's working with him. The sheep is portrayed as an animal that's quiet and yields to the call of the shepherd. All of those things are inside of the word of God. And yet the word of God uses this this picture here, it says the righteous are going to flourish like the palm tree and they're going to grow like the cedars in Lebanon. Let me talk to you for just a few minutes about uh, these cedars. Number one is they grow in unlikely conditions. And these cedars here, the cedars of Lebanon, it's pretty amazing how that whenever you look at the temple, that you never saw the cedars of Lebanon that come from King Hiram of Tyre. They were sent down there to David so that Solomon <coughs> could put those, those cedars inside of that temple there. You, you come in and you see that beautiful edifice is there and you see all the gold. You see all of the things that are there and yet whenever you look and say, what's holding the structure up? Those cedars that nobody ever sees. And yet these cedars grow in unlikely conditions. They come from the mountains of Lebanon, which is some of the most extreme of conditions because they sit, think about this, they're right there near the coastline of the Mediterranean, which means that you've got constantly that coastal wind that's blowing in and, and there's constantly a mist and a spray that's coming in and, and it, it, it's, it's, it's salty and that water is, is constantly in a, a salty state. Well, you, you start taking house plants and, and even trees and you start, putting uh, salt in them. It's going to kill those that are there. Th those winds that they have to endure from, from tornadoes and, and gale force winds that are coming out of that place. And, and whenever the winter begins to set in, those cedars have to endure extreme temperatures where then there is snowfall that comes in there. And yet here is the part 6,000 feet above sea level is where the highest level of vegetation can be found and that is where those cedars are at. Now you say, how in the world does that apply to us as two-mile men and women? They grow in some of the most adverse of conditions. They do. And I mentioned Joseph this morning. I won't rehearse that again here, but you just think about Joseph, the pits, the accusations, the prisons, and yet what did they seem to do? They only seemed to heighten his commitment and his ability. 
You realize that there have been some of the most powerful people of God that they have come out of situations where that there was spousal abuse that took place in that and yet God has used women in a great way whenever they came out from under that. You realize there have been children that have grown up. Brother Davidson has made mention before of the conditions that his wife grew up in, horrific conditions, and now Sister Davidson is our district superintendent Superintendent's wife, that a lot of young women and even middle aged and elderly women look towards Sister Davidson's leadership, but you have no idea where she come out of. There are things, there are people here tonight that are you're sitting in the pews of this church that you come out of a horrific situation in your life. What I'm begging you to do is to do whatever you can to get that mental and spiritual block out of your mind and say with me I believe I am a two mile person in a one mile world and the the Lord can use me and the Lord can help me because God works despite evil that comes against us. Proverbs chapter three verses five and six trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not not on understanding in all thy ways acknowledge him and he's going to direct your path. And so a cedar will grow in an unlikely condition. There's something else. A cedar has deep roots. Sometimes whenever they pull that cedar out, those cedars, those, those roots of that cedar, they go down 60 to 80 feet and they reach and they stretch down into the rivers there in the earth there and they, they get down into the caverns of the mountains and they tap in to the very foundation of the earth yet it's the difference between superficial character and somebody that has decided to sink their roots down deep enough that they lock in to the rock of ages there was one cedar that they found that they approximated the age at 3500 years and it was still standing. There is something all inspiring whenever you look at men and women that have gone through incredible adverse circumstances. It seems like that their lot in life was to always constantly having to drink from the cup of tribulation and yet there was an uncanny, powerful anointing in their life. Some men in their relationship with God, they find out that time and eternity is not going to demoralize them or demolish them. So here's what you have to realize. Time can be your opportunity. I don't care who your parents were. I don't care what your childhood, I do care, but you understand what I'm saying. Your, your childhood could have so warped up your mind and your brain that you say, I can't make it. I'm here to tell you tonight that by the Spirit and by the work of the grace of God, that you can stand up and the Lord can help you sink some roots down and God can use you. The Lord can work in your life. Sure, you're gonna have to deal with some proclamations of some of these nasty kings in this world. There's gonna be a Darius that's gonna come along and say, look, if you pray, then you're gonna go into the lion's den. But inside of Daniel's heart, Daniel chapter one and verse eight, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat or a portion of the king's wine. There's gotta be something inside of you that says because of my relationship with God. I'm going to be a two-miler. I'm going to be somebody that I'm going to go, yes, Jesus, I will go that second mile. Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled on his knees three times a day and he prayed and gave thanks before his God is just like he did aforetime as he did aforetime. That's deep roots in the face of adversity that no matter what comes in the direction of your life that you say, you know something, I'm still gonna press forward. Still gonna move forward. Psalm 8 and 5, you have made him a little lower than the angels 
And you've crowned him with glory and honor. You've made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. And you have put all things under his feet. Daniel was brought to memory to the fact that his existence on earth was not just mere happenstance, but the Lord had a purpose in his life. I'm just going to just run by this. I don't have time. I'm going to quit. And I'm going to do as as Moses told Pharaoh. Let those people go. I'm about to let y'all go here in about five minutes. Judges chapter 9 tells a story. It's a parable. And in that parable, they're looking for a king to rule the forest. And it starts coming along. And the next thing you know, it says the trees, that they they said, you know what? Uh, Here's what we want to do. The olive tree said, no, I I don't want to leave my fatness. And and I I don't want to be promoted. I don't want to be the king. And so then the fig tree, they come on and rule over this fig tree. No, I can't forsake my sweetness. And then the vine, they come to the vine. They said, why, why should I leave my wine? I cheer up God. I cheer up people. Why should I do that? And so then all the trees looked at the bramble. And they told the bramble, they said, why don't you rule over us? That parable teaches me a lesson. Number one is that none of those trees had the mental toughness to be able to say we're going to be the king of this forest. And so you know what happened? By default, they elected a bramble king. And there are times in our lives that we can fall into the trap of letting brambles run our lives. And we let lesser things get into our spirits and they rule us. I just want to tell you here tonight, I do not want to be like that. I don't, I don't want impulses and moods and whims to run my life. I want some out. Yo, yeah, there, there are going to be trials and challenges and difficulties that you face in your life, but listen to me. There ought to be a part where you like one of those corks and you just keep buoying back up to the top. Like one of those rubber duckies. You remember they lost some of those out in the Pacific. There were hundreds of those things. And sharks got a hold of some of them and some of them got here and got there. But there were some of them that they, they always managed to stay up above it all despite the storms, the winds, the challenges that they had in their lives. And there's a destiny that two milers have. What if John Bunyan, what if John Bunyan, whenever they told him to quit preaching, what if John Bunyan would have just said, you know what, I tell you what, y'all are right. Lock me up in jail. I'm not going to, I'm going to, if you just let me out of jail, I promise you I'm not going to preach. I'm not going to give up. Then we never would have gotten the holy war. He wrote that in jail. We never would have gotten Pilgrim's Progress. Do you realize that Pilgrim's Progress is the second best-selling book of any book of English literature? The Bible's number one. Pilgrim's Progress is number two. What, 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 what if, what if John Bunyan would have gave up and quit? Then we never would have gotten those blessings and those benefits. And so tonight, I'm just going to ask you this. What's going to happen in your, what, what is going to be unfulfilled in your life if you fall into the trap and say, I tell you what, I'm not going to go the second mile. I'm just going to coast along and I'm just going to do just enough to get by. So I'm going to ask you some questions and then we're going to go home. What kind of quality of teaching did our students get in our Sunday school classes today? 
What kind of quality of preaching and teaching? That's in mine, Brother Patterson's area. What kind of quality of teaching and preaching did this church get today? What kind of quality of commitment did our singers and our musicians? And they're not giving it to us. They're doing it as unto the Lord. What kind of commitment did we give to our jobs in the last week? What kind of commitment did we give to our marriages? Me and you ought to be strong in your families. You ought to be spiritual leaders in your home. You you ought to be spiritual leaders in your I'm not going to let you off the rope. Teresa's job is not to make sure I pray and make sure I study. Now, maybe y'all need to talk to her and tell her that I need to cut it back some so I won't preach such long sermons, okay? But it's not her job to be trying to tell, okay, Philip, come on now. You, you know what you got to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's my job to be the spiritual leader in my home. But, oh, I'm going to tell you something, church. When you start just kind of pulling a little bit back of the curtain and you start looking at what God's got in mind for this church in the next five years, get your eyes off what's taking place in the White House. Get your eyes on what's taking place at various cities around the nation. Get some blinders up. If you got a say this where I'm looking at you if you got to get your ignorant television and throw it out church trash comes around on Thursdays you got to put it out by the street for somebody to get it that stuff is making your brains go crazy turn off Fox News turn off CNN get all that stuff out of your mind it's, it's hurting your ability to be a two miler don't let Hank Williams sing to you. I'm dating myself because I don't know who all the new cool cats are, okay? But I'm just, I'm, I'm just, I'm trying to talk to you here tonight. What do you want to be in your life? You want to be a one-miler or you want to be a two-miler? I want to be a two-miler, Brother Wells. I want to be a two-miler, Brother Robert. I've got, there's got to be that part in me that that's what I, I don't care how old you are either, Brother Robert, you can still be a two-miler. Brother Robert's about 80 years old. Y'all know that? 72. We're going to be two-milers, church. God's got things he wants to do in your heart and in your spirit. Lord, I am thankful for this service. I'm thankful, Lord, for the spirit that's been in this church here tonight. I know, Lord, that you have met needs in people's lives. I'm thankful, Lord, for every song. I'm thankful for every prayer. I pray, Lord, tonight, help every one of us walk out of here. That, Lord, that we believe in ourselves. And it's not, Lord, self-confidence that is, Lord, rooted in a humanistic, Lord, sense. But it is rooted in our confidence in your spirit and what you can do in our lives. Help us, Lord, to do your will. I pray, God, that you build hedges around our minds and go with us. Help us to manifest your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. Thank you for coming to church. Let's clap our hands to the Lord one more time. Why don't you just stand and just shout? Oh, thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Jesus name. Jesus name. Oh, in the name of Jesus. Oh, in Jesus name. I see it, church. That's it. Oh, in the name of Jesus.
Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Now, when you go out these doors here tonight, there's not one mile waiting on you. There's two miles waiting on you. Wednesday, Tuesday night, I'll be doing a live stream. Start at 7 o'clock and go through the book of Revelation. If you want to be a part of that, we'll be on our uh, Facebook page and on my YouTube channel. Wednesday night, Bible study at 7, Power Supply Friday night. Saturday morning, 9 o'clock at the Millers, and bring somebody to church with you next Sunday. Thank you for coming to church. The Lord bless you.